A calendar, as everybody knows, measures time. And that's important, that's an important organizational tool because time keeps everything from happening at once. If there were no calendars, there would, we wouldn't know what day or week or year it was. We wouldn't even know how old we were or when we were born, though that in itself may be a drawback. Every birthday is a reminder of our mortality. Rodney Dangerfield, who never did get any respect, used to joke that he was getting so old his insurance company only sent him half a calendar. In daily life, we use civil calendars, uh, like the one on your refrigerator, but there are others, fiscal, lunar, solar, Julian Gregorian ways of measuring time. Catholics have a liturgical calendar, but other churches have theirs too. We call this the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time for the Anglican, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, United Church of Christ, and Presbyterian. This is the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. The calendar for the Eastern Orthodox jurisdictions calls this the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. And the Old Calendar Orthodox, which includes the Greek, Ukrainian, Antiochian, Coptic, and Russian Orthodox churches are observing today as the commemoration of the Holy Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Last but not least, the Unitarian Church celebrates today as United Nations Day. I risk adding to this liturgical confusion by calling your attention to the fact that for this monastic community, today falls under the category of none of the above. Today we are observing the solemnity of the consecration of this church. So does it seem odd to take a day out each year to honor a building? In the years since the Second Vatican Council, we've become used to hearing that the church is the people of God, not the buildings or institutions. Viewed from the perspective of sacred tradition, this is neither new nor radical. However, to say that church, the church is the people of God does not mean at the same time as some members of the liturgical Soviet insist that a church building has little or no importance apart from the people who gather there. Follow that line of thinking to its illogical and equally unhappy conclusion, and you get contemporary church buildings that look like shopping malls or nuclear waste containment facilities, referred to as worship spaces, all concrete and steel, stripped of iconography, beauty, and mystery. Abandon all hope, ye who enter there. The all-important buzzword here is functional. Airports are functional. Their only purpose is to move travelers to a destination. Who goes to O'Hare or Midway hoping to spend a quiet hour contemplating the subtle aesthetics of the check-in counter or a baggage carousel? Churches are not functional. They're not meant to be. They're numinous. They bring us into communion 
with the triune God who is the source and origin of our salvation. This is what the church was meant to be. This church was meant to be for the Bohemian German immigrants who built it and who paid for it for years with nickel and dime collections. Like other immigrants to Chicago, they built a great pile of brick, filled it with statues, paintings, Gothic arches, stained glass, and a high altar. It proudly proclaimed their Catholic faith in a city that did not always welcome them or their faith. A church evangelizes by its very nature. It is a catechism written in stone, glass, and mortar. You can think of almost any of the great cathedral churches of Europe. Chartres and Notre Dame in France come immediately to mind. This church is a bit humbler than those medieval churches, but like them, you can read the book of the Gospels implicit in the architecture of this building. When you walk into the narthex, or the vestibule, those huge red doors are a warning that you are making a transition from the world of the secular and temporal into the world of the sacred and eternal. On a Google map, we might be located at the corner of 31st and Aberdeen, but on the theological map, we are located somewhere at the intersection of now and eternity. Starting from there, the entire structure of this building points to that reality. For example, the 12 load-bearing columns, six on each side, are a symbol of the 12 apostles upon whom the church is held up. The symbolic value of those columns may slip by us, but the architect, the architect was well aware of it. Take the soaring vault and the Gothic arches in the nave. The word nave comes from the Latin word for ship. That immense space tells us that the church is the ark of salvation, even if the world sometimes thinks of us as the ship of fools. Walk, walk up the aisle, the center aisle, from the doors where the holy water font is placed, past the confessionals on either side, to the sanctuary and the altar, and you make the journey of faith from rebirth in baptism to full communion with the Church in the Holy Eucharist. One other detail that's harder to see, the side galleries on either over here and either behind the choir are arranged in such a way that the wide arches on either side create a Latin cross. You get a better idea of this by looking at a picture taken from space, say, on um, Google Maps. The point is, we worship the crucified in a, in a building built in the form of a cross, the icon of our salvation. The civil year has measured the months and the seasons, and the liturgical calendar has announced the feasts and solemnities since, the building, since this building was consecrated 111 years ago. And through all that long march of time, this church, like so many others, built by immigrants to Chicago, has been a public witness of God's presence among his people.